Thanks to all our patrons for helping make this episode possible. Make sure to go to patreon.com slash boards and swords to learn more on how you can help. Live from Swordplay Studios, it's time for Boards and Swords! Woo! Oh, yeah! Yeah! He's a freak. Woo! Hi, sorry, that was uh, me ducking down to <laughs> lower my volume. It's time for Boards and Swords. This is the uh, confounded conglomeration of a bunch of words that forms a podcast <laughs> talking about board games and having fun with it. I am one of your hosts. My name is Chris Renshaw, and Philip is not here, but we do have Colin and Cindy. Hello! Hey! And we got our special guest with us. We have Matthew Hawker. Hey there. Pleasure to be here today. Thank you. So, Matt, why don't you tell us why you're important? Uh, you know, I think we're all important, Chris. I, I don't know if I'm if I'm necessarily important. I think we're all, you know, on, on the same level. But I guess board game wise, I recently kickstarted, fulfilled and published a game called Composition, a cacophony of words. It is a word building card drafting game. Uh, players take the role of one of 11 unique maestros. Each of those maestros has a set of letters that represents the word they start with. They're able to use those letters throughout the game permanently. They'll create performances or words that you spell to earn roses, awards, and ovations. And occasionally we'll have to dodge terrible tomatoes thrown by the audience for your performances. The game uh, plays anywhere between two to five players. It does have a solo mode if you're looking for something to just play on your own. Um, and like I said, it is a word building game. So that, that meets your fancy. I definitely recommend it. It is on sale now at Games, C-O-O-G-A-M-E-S dot net the website does not look great yet online infrastructure is something we're all working on but you can purchase it there yeah yeah we've played it it's really cute best looking word game i've played yeah it's very nice the artwork looks great i've seen it so <laughs> i have not played it but i've seen it and it looks great becky titus did the graphic design olivia rom did the character art and they're both fantastic at what they do Woo-hoo! see that was all i was wanting to know what's your important thing <laughs> fair enough fair enough so yep he's gonna be here we're talking about just kind of wanted to get matt's perspective today a little later on talking about indie games and kind of that development process and also kind of you know i thought it might be interesting especially with everything going on in the world right now just to kind of get a smaller perspective on what it might be like during these times ah uh, but first how is everybody going how's everybody doing what are you, any big games going on uh big games big games what just Um, just game any big gaming going on there you go well matt and i actually played a game of lost cities earlier today on tabletop simulator nice yeah that's uh was a lot of fun i said the big game being played by most people is probably tabletop simulator (laughs) which is (laughs) all games in a way yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah, I I'm... tried out uh, Gloomhaven on Tabletop Simulator with uh, with my friend Sean up in Canada. Oh, fun! Uh, how did you like it? Uh, it's fun. Yeah, it's definitely Gloomhaven's one of those that I'm finding more and more the game is rougher the less digital stuff you use. <laughs> 
because like when mm. I'm playing it here and when I'm playing it here in the house, I've gotten to the point I like there's a there's a helper app that kind of flips a lot of the enemy cards for you, which really helps if there's multiple different kinds of enemies. Uh, and then of course, if you've got the tabletop simulator version, there's a lot of it's taking care of everything and it makes it a lot more enjoyable and you're less fiddling around with mechanics. Nice. And I'm officially verified in Steam now because I went ahead and bought Viticulture for Tabletop Simulator. Ooh. Yeah, I told him to. She said, do it. <laughs> so you have to spend like $5 on, on Steam to be verified. Oh, I, look at you. Look. <laughs> I had bought Tabletop Simulator through a third party, through Fanatical. You're right. And so, yeah, I was like, man. Look at you spending your first $5 on Steam. Isn't that cute? Yeah. Uh, I That's the gateway. <laughs> that opens it up. <laughs> <laughs> it won't stop now. You're going to keep going. Oh, man. Uh, I got to talk about Arkham Horror. Oh, God. So we are getting to the end. We've been playing a, a campaign, The Path to Carcosa, which a lot of people are saying is one of the best campaigns they've done for the LCG. And it's it's so crazy, the kinds of things they do. And we got to the penultimate episode, episode seven out of eight. And we ran it, not this Monday, but la- the Monday before last and managed to, where it was a grind, but managed to get our way through it. And then we were getting right towards the end and someone's like, hey, Chris, you should go take out this thing. And I'm like, no, we need to really worry about this other thing. I think we've got to turn before we really need to worry about that first thing. And sure enough, that first thing ended up killing us. And it was just all because <laughs> oh. of a decision I made. And not only that, because of the way we ended up getting all the way through the agenda deck to where it goes, oh, yeah, you know, because you're towards the end of the campaign, we're just going to say that you guys are devoured and everybody in the the world goes crazy now. (laughs) Uh, I'll just say I love the spoiler tags you put in there. (laughs) Well, I didn't really say much besides. I know, I know. It was like. He said, oh, you should do this thing. I'm like, uh, we should do that thing. Yeah. (laughs) So now we have to... I'm talking about the BGG spoiler tag where you don't see anything. Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah, so we we have to go replay the whole thing so that we can play the final scenario. Oh, my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Because of its stupid decision I made. Oh, well. I'm not taking it personal or anything, obviously. (laughs) Well, hey, at least you get more Arkham Horror card game. No, I know. This way. It's just like one of those, but up, 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 that's Arkham Horror. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cindy and I kind of. Is that the sound that plays when you open the box? No, that's just the sound that goes through my head anytime it decides to be Arkham Horror. Mm. Mm. Yeah, we started doing an around the world series of Ticket to Ride, kind of. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're playing through We're, all of our maps. Yeah, we just decided. Oh, it's you, been a while since we played the maps, so you should get a globe them. and then just spin it and put do the whole spin it and put your finger in a place and then play that map. You could. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's getting enough maps to where you could. Like, we don't have the newest one yet, but you just keep spinning until you land on something that you can play. So yeah. Let's see. The, but, all the big places or we are could covered. Just go in order of release because that's what. But we're doing. that's no fun. <laughs> But it it is. Because what if we have to play like Germany like three times in a row? Well, then good for <laughs> the you. The Germans have won. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, let, let's go into some news. How about that? Okay. I know things are weird right now, but I couldn't go another episode without doing some news. 
Yeah. We mentioned Fantastic. Frost- yeah, we mentioned uh Frosthaven last time, but this time we now have the other big game I was looking forward to. Simon has launched the third part of their big legendary saga, which is Ankh. It's now live. Ankh. Ankh. It sounds like cavemen. Uh, sounds like a German lesson. Nah. Uh so the way the game works is you take the form of ancient gods of Egypt looking to build up their uh, following more than the other players. It's really weird because if you play with like four to five people, the last, if you, once you get to like the third phase of the game, the last, the people that are in last place now become like a single unified God that mm. win or lose together. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I, I tried to avoid backing it, but in the end, the game was just like, come on. It was okay. Speaking of, come on, uh, their trading was suspended earlier this week as like several big things kind of came to light. I'm not even going to pretend to understand any of it because it's all uh, businessy and financial world stuff. I've got links in that'll be in the show notes that has both the original post or the original post that I pulled from table or from ICV2 that talks about their trading being suspended. And then I've also got the post that has uh, Simon's or Kaman's response to that about everybody freaking mm. out. But it has something to do with the way that they track Kickstarter monies to where they show it as like an asset and a liability until the game ships and then it's no longer a liability because now the customer has it but the assets are slowly getting drained as they spend money so then there's a weird Mm. error thing there that's the way that come on explained it so i'm sure other more there's probably a lot more better takes on it just want to put the links out there but when asked if these concerns were valid uh the company responded come on was that supposed to be its own joke? Yes. Oh, sorry. There you go. You're not going to like the rest of these. I'm sure I mean, it was just the same joke twice, it sounded like, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. So, anyways, condescending, you can tune out for a little bit. I uh, always do. A couple, F- couple of FFG stories now. <laughs> hey, I'm only allowed like five stories, so it's got to be stuff that I like. I, <laughs> I have to make jokes on it. I'm just teasing you. So, uh, taking a page from Marvel Champions, uh, FFG announced that they're going to be doing five new investigators for the Arkham Horror card game, but unlike the way they've done them in the past, each investigator is going to have its own uniquely playable deck that you could buy separately. So, if you've got friends that play Arkham Horror, the card game, and you want to play you could just walk into the store, pick up one of these packs, open it, and then start playing. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah. It allows new players a very easy way to jump into their friends. So, um... (laughs) That wasn't the end point. (laughs) Uh, It sounded like a joke. (laughs) It did? It allows their friends to jump into their friends. I was like, that sounds like his jokes. Oh. (laughs) I think anything with those kinds of horns after it becomes a joke automatically. (laughs) <laughs> now you have something to live up to i'm not even gonna finish the no, no just, do. speaking of marvel champions i'm moving on wait marvel At champions where'd that come in because he, i talked he referenced about the it. taking a taking a page because marvel champions oh, sells individual yeah, yeah, decks yeah. 
Got it. Uh, at the Game and Trade show, before everything was shut down, FFG announced that their first big campaign box that everybody was looking forward to uh, is going to be called Rise of the Red Skull. So it's going to add a campaign mode to the game, which is one of the biggest like cons that people have had against, like pros and cons against the game. And so like, well, it's not as very narrative, which I find okay, but regardless. Uh, it's also going to add two new heroes, Hawkeye and Spider-Woman, and five new villains that you can play as well. Mm -hmm. So originally this was supposed to release this summer, but at the show, FFG said that the box will be coming much later in 2020. So... Cue all the fans online going, oh, come on. <laughs> huh? So you can you can figure out, fill in the blank yourself what the 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 Arkham Horror one was. Mm -hmm. So So is that a joke? That was supposed to be a joke. Man, you're just ah, uh, I am totally the off. The joke I'm... was as I was using the same joke four times in a row. Ugh. Lame. Ugh. Just kidding. All right, last last piece. Gamma announced that they're pushing back Origins this year. It's going to be uh, October seventh through the eleventh. Uh, yeah, the big I saw that. gaming convention in Columbus, Ohio. So what are they going to be doing during the June weekend, though? The Origins usually is. During that weekend, which is June 19th through the 21st, they're going to be hosting an online convention called Origins Online. It's going to have seminars, uh, like a, an online exhibit hall where you can demo new games and buy stuff from companies, etc. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody know what a disaster it is every year getting into housing at Gen Con? Now mm -hmm. I want you to take that image and then picture Gamma running it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> you don't always have to punctuate everyone. You know that, right? Uh, I... I, I, I... <laughs> I missed I missed a couple. <laughs> the fact that it's just gamma's a joke in and of itself. So yeah, my my buttons have like quite a delay, so uh, that's why I kind of <laughs> I kind of have to anticipate the joke, and so that's why I. I so why is Gamma <laughs> holding the online thing? And well, because in Gamma runs Origins. Oh, do they? I did not know yeah. that. Okay. Which is why, from what I've heard from like the retailer and like anybody that e exhibits anything at Origins, it's such a crapshoot. Oh. Mm. Who's going to get to do this online thing? Just the people that had tickets to Origins or anybody? I have no idea. Okay. Because if it was open to everybody, holy cow, I can imagine that would be a crazy disaster. Here we go. Online. Let's see. Uh, it will be hosting for tabletop gaming fans to join uh, from their devices. It makes it, they make it sound like it's for everybody. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Which well, I mean, be... hosting, uh, like all the, the, the gaming pieces and like seminars, that's, that'll be fine because those will be hosted on other sites probably. It's just the integration of everything, like what they're, like how you find all these like webinars and stuff. Mm hmm. That's going to be the problem. And whatever they're talking about for an online exhibit hall is probably going to be atrocious. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. That's that's all I can imagine. Hmm. I'm curious. <laughs> we'll find out. Are you? I, well, you know, honestly, either way, this is going to be, in my opinion, I, I think no matter how it ends up being, it's going to be a relatively good thing. I think you're going to see a lot of conventions and areas like uh, that sort of origins falls into start going through and 
a more online oriented structure or infrastructure. Yeah. Um, as we kind of keep moving forward, even after this all goes away, it, I, I think that this is sort of like a almost a play test, so to speak, of of whether or not this is feasible and yeah. if it's lucrative. Because even if it's not amazing, if it does okay, that's still going to be very good. Because just imagine, you don't have to pay rent for using the location. You don't. You it saves them a ton of money as a convention host space. They already have the branding, and now they'll have an online space that delivers traffic. And people like me who want to get a game out there or content out there will still spend a lot of money so you're at the top of the page. So if this is like a focus point over the span of one to three days, or even if you're going there for a minute, whatever you see at the top of the screen is extremely valuable right. advertising space. Which is why it's going to um, live and die on its implementation, like having something that's usable and not going to be a disaster. And that's why... I'm feeling like trusting Gamma with something like that is going to be... <laughs> I, I would agree. My, my concern is mostly for um, smaller gaming companies or independent publishers that really can't compete with large... Like, uh, conventions are really nice because... Even if you're not at the front of the room, right. you're still on equal footing because a lot of people are going to be traveling around. Right. Like true. you said, if, if if the infrastructure online isn't there, you may just go unnoticed. Like no one's going to want to go to your page. Like like you may not exist unless you have some amazing way to show yourself on the off flip on the website. side. It means that you're not investing as much money as you would be going to a convention. Hmm. I'm not sure what their prices are, though, yeah. for their online infrastructure. So I wouldn't be able to answer that exactly. one way or the other. But I don't think they know yet either. <laughs> I think this is somebody um, like, this is a great idea, put it out. And now they're like, crap, how do we do this? <laughs> like if this was yeah. like a, a Gen Con online kind of situation, I would have a little bit more faith Not in it. Not to mention the server load that's going to be taking yeah. place over the course of those days. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm really worried about. Speaking of which, I'm just worried about things. Like I was talking, I've been talking with our, our groups and stuff and nobody's making any decisions yet because we're still so far out. But I'm even very hesitant towards even if Gen Con is a thing this year. Like let's just assume everything, like we're at least, we're not we're not social isolating anymore that, that we flatten the curve enough that by Gen Con time, we're at least out and about and Gen Con goes on as promised. I don't know if I'm going mm. <laughs> because that's like we, we we won't. There's no way we have a vaccine by then. And you're talking about you and 60,000 of your your best friends. All it takes is one of those 60,000 yeah. to have the disease or not to have the virus or to be a carrier. And now everybody's toast. Right. Yeah. You're, yeah you're just so you know, you're, you're it's, it's so, contagious. so contagious. You're also in the same cramped space, recirculating the same air. So I, 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 was, yeah. I imagine a lot of these conventions are, are not going to really be up and running at some normal function until 2021. And even then, some folks believe that COVID-19 will probably repeat itself in some way annually, similar to other flu viruses. Right. Uh, tricky stuff. Yeah. And then plus, the, you also, the flip side of this, and I mean, uh, this is, I don't know if you've looked, Matt, if you've looked into stuff at Gen Con, but from as I hear it, Gen Con is expensive from a from a company to go to, and so there's a lot of companies that have been saying that even if there is a Gen Con, they may not go because they won't have new product because everything's been shut down. Right. And 
And right. if a company doesn't mm. have product, it's so expensive, it's not worth going because you're not going to make up those sales on just your back catalog. Uh, conventions are extraordinarily expensive. Yeah. The, uh, uh, I mean, it sounds obvious, but it's, it's, it's worth repeating. They're extraordinarily expensive. Um, when you go to a convention, especially as, an, as a company, there has to be some level. That, well, there's going to be a, a level of uncertainty unless you've been in the business for a while where you have no idea if it's going to be lucrative. The I would say, generally speaking, for independent publishers, when you go into this um and mo- most startup companies in general most companies that start up aren't lucrative immediately right uh, they tend to lose money uh, when I go to a convention, I have no guarantee if my game will be a success unless I just have some explosive online power. And even then, that can be a bit of a gamble. Uh, most of the time, conventions are extraordinarily useful for independent publishers to get eyes on their product, to build a catalog of people that enjoy their game, that they want to reach out to later on, to make connections, that sort of thing, to get the game in front of people to try. Um, and then after that, you kind of start moving ahead as you go through the convention circuit. People talk about it online at places like Board Game Geek and spread news through Facebook groups such as yours or on Twitter, so on and so forth. So regarding the financial viability of conventions, uh, that is obviously something uh, companies will look at, but there's short-term investment and long-term investment. Um, companies like me, like if a larger company drops out of something like Gen Con and there, there's going to be a gamble assessment, there's going to be a risk assessment rather, like you said, so there's the potential for flu virus to spread. But if that does drop out, I may want, or a smaller company might want to inject themselves into that environment because that might be one of the few opportunities they have to get into that environment. Um, so I, I think a lot of companies are really looking at risk versus opportunity and what's too much risk, what's too much, you know, how do you assess that? And I personally don't know because there's so many unknown factors to this still. Right. And that's why, you know, nobody really knows until we get a lot closer, but it's just thoughts I've been having and chatting about with people because, and I have to, I mean, there's like some of my friends are like, well, I'll just take extra precautions, use extra hand sanitizer, I'll wear a mask, yada, yada. But at the same time, I'm not so much worried. It comes down to your individual situation where it's like, I'm not worried about myself, but I have a wife who has asthma and a lot of, what's the word? Who has... Uh, just various health health issues. various health issues that make her high risk to where if it were just me and I was you know living in a bubble I would probably not care as much but I have that piece to worry about worrying about bringing something home ultimately in an environment like this we're responsible for everyone yeah. like you're like everything every action I do is responsible I'm responsible for everyone around me and then everyone they interact with because ultimately if I am infected or if I do have something I'm responsible for every person I'm in contact with you bring up a good point though because talking about like I- injecting yourself in if like a larger company drops out so maybe when I was talking at the companies that this is going to affect is not so much the small tier because like You've got your game, especially you've got it out and it, it's published and other companies that may have one or two games that that's all that they have and they maybe not have gotten as big a buzz. This could be. But what's probably going to hurt is like your mid-tier publishers that because like the big ones, like we're talking anything as day, they'll have the money probably and they'll make enough on various their giant catalog that they'll probably make enough to be fine. But that mid-tier, I'm trying to think of like the right level um, game where it, the people who their company yeah, think of some depends <laughs> on that big launch of their big new game. Like Queen Games? 
Yeah, it could yeah, it could be Queen Games, but I mean they'll have like Essen maybe or something like that. But yeah, some like a company that's really dependent on having like a very huge launch that may be who gets affected by this the you most. Know, so it's 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 interesting. Um, most companies, I think, are now looking at online infrastructure, period. I mean, again, one of those things that sounds obvious, but it, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic because brick and mortar stores, game stores, conventions, all that stuff that did not have online infrastructure before or did not have strong online infrastructure are now like, all right, how do we do this in this space? And how do we yeah. do that fast? Um, and mm-hmm. that's tough because it requires a whole different set of tools uh and it requires a whole different set of like how do you mail things how do you do packages all that kind of stuff it it becomes a whole new system to set up and i think you're going to see a lot of changing dynamics in terms of what companies survive in that and what don't uh because it it is very like anything else in 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 society it, it can be a survival of the fittest situation uh which is unfortunate but that is also you know what we're kind of facing in terms of the economics of how games are produced and delivered and so on and so forth. It's also it's also tricky because games are very much a it's it's you know they're awesome and they're incredible but they're not an essential piece, right? So it's it's like how do you how do you v- evaluate the importance of this product in regards with everything else? Like how do you say okay, this is something that I want to bring to families and people that enjoy games, that kind of thing. You know, is this something they're even going to look at or buy right now? The the sheer number of unknowns make companies, I, I think most companies would rather just wash their hands of everything and stay away for a little while and, and say, step back and wait to see until there's some kind of certainty before they take any kind of gamble because any kind of risk, such as like even an online convention, can lead to tough financial hurdles they may not be able to move over mm. yeah that was that was what they we even see like our, our i don't know if it's been in the works or if it just they they saw the the sign but our local store started really pushing hard their own website that's got all their oh, yeah. their current inventory um yeah exactly and it's really it like people talk about like i mean i the only thing that bothers me about this whole situation is when i see articles like there was one i want to say maybe it was polygon that said board games are having a rough time right now and i'm like no just everybody is having like these these aren't unique problems Mm -hmm. like the current situation if you want to talk about the overall trend of well you know the distributor model like if we talk a pre-covid the distributor model isn't exactly working as well as it was in the past and more companies are dealing selling directly to consumers instead of through board game stores and stuff that's a separate conversation but if we're talking in a post-COVID world, everything's kind of screwed up right now. And it will be, I'm sure, for a while longer. I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see if prices of board games are going to increase or decrease, because I, I feel like there are factors that may lead to both. Yeah. I suspect you'll see um, the average board game price go up as as over the, over the, over a while. I think we've seen that trajectory for a while now, um, but I, I'm curious if there's going to be more of a spike um, in terms of getting product out and its value and so on and so forth. Because generally speaking, as, as the price of these kinds of things go up, you want to make sure, especially if you're a smaller company, it might be harder to produce and sell it. Um, because generally speaking, the more of you make of a certain product, the cheaper it ends up being to produce. So if you're making 500 copies of a game, the price might be too astronomical and too difficult to actually sell and make some right. kind of a profit. If you're a larger company and you're selling tens of thousands of a copy, you're, you might be able to get, still, still keep that price point within a reasonable range to deliver it and to get it to other people. I Honestly, what I could see more of is the what you're what 
I'm gonna use I'm gonna use an FFG example. Let's let's do that. <laughs> I'm gonna see. I I'm gonna imagine a lot of companies are gonna go the Marvel Champions route for things where the company, based on the past couple stories that we've shared and things that you can talk about. Asmodee has been putting the stri- you know t- tightening the the screws on FFG because you could see like order like large orders of of games printings have not been ordered they were talking about the layoffs like you could almost see the companies just trying to waste as little money as possible so what that has the result of like the first set uh, or the first printing of Marvel Champions sold out almost immediately and the game had all this big huge buzz and hype but the problem was is they put the orders in like three months before like the orders were going in like as they're announcing it at Gen Con and then there were some delays getting it out it comes out it sells out almost immediately but there's this buzz nobody can really get the games and then there was this oh, well, here's our first expansion pack. And now we've got a whole bunch of people, way more than what we were expecting. And we've got people pre-ordering on our website. And those people are getting the game first and people in going to smaller businesses and other places aren't getting it. Or maybe we're getting them sent to like Barnes and Noble, people that have paid for huge shipments of our stock, that sort of thing. And then over time, adjusting their availability and their structure as we get to that segment of the ordering process. So like the next couple of expansions, again, if COVID hadn't happened, probably wouldn't have had as many problems because they would have been adjusting their estimates. But my point being is that I think you're going to see a lot more people, A, smaller publishers are going to continue to use to Kickstarter and you're going to see a lot more Kickstarter exclusive games because companies aren't going to want to take the risk of having that extra stock that they're not sure what to do that they may or may not sell depending on how the public perception of the game is they're more likely to do the Kickstarter and then if they don't have enough buzz do like a second printing run Kickstarter or a pre-order somewhere else to generate that next run type of thing that you've seen some companies do or you're going to see companies doing like pre-order like Stonemeyer's been doing this you're going to see a lot more companies using pre-order systems on their websites and limiting their printings of what they print to just outside those pre-orders to limit the amount of risk that they're taking on their money when they're making these so games. So I, you know, it, it, I feel like my, my response to a lot of things in these kind of conversations is I'm not really sure. Uh, but but but, but I, I'll, I'll say that regarding Kickstarter, because I'm, I'm in a lot of communities for publishers and designers. And so I, I hear a lot of the, the talk and the concerns and the fears. Um, a, a couple things that I, I've noticed as this was going on, of course, your large uh, funders like Kickstarter, things like that, your, your, your platforms for crowdfunding immediately started sending out emails and saying, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. You'll still make money. This isn't limiting how people are gaining funds. And then you start seeing a lot of talk about, well, actually, yes, this is hurting my ability to raise money on Kickstarter. Uh, This is, uh, and and maybe that's okay in the sense that, you know, like people are investing in things that are really important to them, like food and survival and rent and things like that, like necessities. So I, I, I'm not 100% if independent uh, publishers will utilize Kickstarter as much right now um, because you you are right. You don't want to hold on to a large amount of stock because that gets really difficult. I can say on my end, like I planned on having a convention season this year and selling yeah. games and that's not happening. So that destroys a roadmap for me that I was like, okay, this is happening. This is happening. This is happening. And so now you kind of have to reassess that. But with even with Kickstarter, though, it's like it's sort of again, it's it's not something you can be 100% sure on because if I'm a self-publisher, maybe it's my first 
first or second game. If I don't have a guaranteed audience or um, if I don't have at least 500 individual backers, I'm very likely going to have leftover stock. Most factories will produce a min- will want you to produce a minimum of 500 copies. Anything less than that is going to be very expensive, an extraordinarily expensive per unit cost to make the game. Right. Um, or it's just not going to be good, frankly. Uh, it's it's not going to be great. Mm. So that's kind of the assessment you have to make. Um, if I'm producing, when I made composition, I made 1,500 copies because I knew that if I could get it into conventions, it would sell, it would do well. Um, and I'm, I'm confident in the game that I made, just like most publishers are of the games that they create. Uh, but when, you, when you're in that space, it's sort of a different world than when you're online and things like that. Kickstarter for new publishers, generally speaking, backers of Kickstarters, from what a lot of publisher talk I've seen, they, they, you, it's important that you have a dedicated audience. It's important that you have backed other Kickstarters yourself. And it's, it's important that you, you know, you're a part of the community, the tabletop community. So if you don't meet all of those requirements, you may be looking at Kickstarter right now going, is this worth the risk? Do I want to do this, fail, and then have to restart everything um, later on? And failing a Kickstarter is not a bad thing, by the way. It can be a really good thing. Um, a lot of Kickstarters that don't do well the first run come back later on and just explode and do very well. Because they're able to tweak things based yes. on community right. input. But right now, they may even be lacking that kind of community input because people right. just aren't you know, doing that sort of thing. So there's a lot of really tough questions for independent publishers and publishers in general um, and folks that use crowdfunding services like Kickstarter or Indiegogo that don't have a lot of clean answers. Um, I, I personally think... In this environment, the best thing you can do is to try anyway, personally, especially with something like Kickstarter, because failure is not a bad thing, in my opinion. Um, failure is a stepping stone to success. Uh, you have to be willing to take those challenges and work to overcome them. Um, I see some groups doing really cool things, like a certain amount of their Kickstarter funding will go to help support uh, people who need it most during this pandemic, uh, which right. is incredible, in my opinion. So you see a lot of folks that are trying to adapt to the environment in positive ways that help communities. Yeah, I kept flashing on uh, Meet the Robinsons when you were talking. It was like, you failed! Like, keep moving forward was like the <laughs> yes. motto. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, yeah, and that's uh, constant. Any other any other thoughts you want to chime in there? I know we went a little deep specific. No, I mean, I was enjoying listening. I just had really nothing to contribute, uh, I, I, <laughs> if I, that makes sense. To make another movie reference, I'm feeling like that Forrest Gump, you know, when he does the speech on, uh, down on the mm-hmm. Washington Mall, and he's like, that's it, man. You said it all. You said it all, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're kind of like seamless. This is kind of the territory I was wanting to kind of go, so we'll just kind of keep going down uh, that that sort of digging through that rabbit hole. Because, yeah, the, see, the problem is the problems that we're having during this time period is it, it comes to you've got people like you, Matthew, that, you know, you're not full-time into games, so you might have the luxury that you could still work on things because you've still got, I'm assuming, I'm making some assumptions here, another full-time job that's supporting you at this point. Ooh. But I'm s- <laughs> Unfortunately, not anymore, but that's okay. Ah, uh, night. Ah. Uh. Okay. Okay. Maybe I need to backtrack there, but 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 still accurate to a lot of folks, to be frank. Right. But I'm seeing some that are gaming is their full time or 
is slash was their full-time job where those people are now not able to work or you have some that are still trying to press forward and you know they're put they're trying to you know they may have kickstarters coming up in the next month or two because they have to like (laughs) they have people that they're paying for or their own finances may depend on they need that influx Mm -hmm. of cash right then and there because that was what they were planning on so it's just definitely a uh so yeah. so you know um th- you know I I like to talk about this a lot um <laughs> in, in in regards to previous so- if we look at history, and, and again, I'm going I'm to give a botched history lesson here, so I okay. apologize in advance. Um, if, if you refer to eras such as the Great Depression, uh, there was a bit of a board game renaissance during the Great Depression, right? So you, you have this item that is a luxury item in an era where people have no money, but people would buy this even over even choosing it over something like food for in certain instances because you have this item that you can play with family and friends repeatedly over mm. and over and over and over again forever um which means you always have a source of entertainment that you don't have to put more money into and it's a game and something like monopoly is a game about making money um i talk about this a lot because it's really important to look at the times in terms of what a game can accomplish in an environment um obviously things are a bit different now now this is the the golden a new golden age of board gaming and there's very much a cult of the new so you have so many games constantly that it's hard to keep track of them so games that don't like something in the past like monopoly or scrabble that didn't have like a trillion different games that are going against it um like those did very well at the time now i think your staples are going to continue doing very well um because again people want something they're comfortable with that they recognize that they can probably play with their families um and because really it's kind of hard to play with friends that you know you're not connected with easily it's hard to play with people outside of your home environment right now and people right. are going to be looking for games that are probably replayable to a great degree. Um, and so, again, that that really sort of taps into, as a publisher, you know, what am I making? How am I fulfilling the needs of my potential audience? Yeah. And how am I adapting to the environment around me right now? Yeah, I could see I, thinking ahead a little bit. I would imagine, you know, when we get six months down the road, uh, when we look at kind of like or, you know, a year from now, when we're looking at the the stats for the year, I would imagine as a whole, the amount of income that the industry bringing in is down largely because there's some like a huge chunk of it is Magic the Gathering and most of that is done in stores, which you're not having. But on the flip side, I would imagine that the number of people... There's no way of tracking this, but I would imagine if there are a way of tracking the number of people buying board games is a whole lot bigger because this year you've than other years. The non-gamers that are discovering board games because there's nothing else to do. Right, right. And you got the people that's where like the tar the stuff in Target and stuff becomes popular yep. because people are scrambling trying it's like you've seen how many times have you seen or heard or oh, a seen lot. read on Facebook about people a doing lot, puzzles? Yeah, like the the amount of people doing puzzles is like exploding, at least based on the little bit of information and evidence that I have. I imagine if there were a way to quantify that, that you would see something similar with board games. But I would very much imagine that the total dollars is going to be dramatically lower because of, like I said, the the because whether we like it or not the the industry is built on the back of magic the gathering yeah she said that was such sadness yeah we're we're sorry cindy 
<laughs> oh, well, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> no, no, that. I, I know. I'm, I'm just... sorry. I, I, I mean, magic doesn't <laughs> seem that stable. Magic is like this fictional substance, right? Sorry, I'm, yeah. I'm getting really silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um. So one thing I will, I, I'm curious about, because one, the, those that have been playing board games and those of us that have been the existing kind of board game fans that are now having to kind of turn our attention towards places like Tabletop Simulator, how has that impacted you as a designer and someone who's producing games? Have you been using these tools more in kind of playtesting new games or showing off the game to other, like any media type people, that sort of thing? You know, admittedly, I haven't shown my my newest game to a lot of media folks. Uh, I will say, though, that the tools available like Tabletop Simulator are things that I'm absolutely taking advantage of. Uh, to, to be perfectly clear, like before this was going on, I love Tabletop Simulator and I did quite a bit of playtesting on it. There is something very advantageous to playing with a group of people from any location very quickly to throw things together and, you know, see how it works. Oh, um, yeah. It, it's massive. Generally speaking, what I, what I what I tell folks of playtesting and, you know, sort of some of the one of the big mantras of playtesting, the goal of playtesting is to cobble together what you want to do as quickly as possible. It doesn't have to look great. You throw it in front of people and you see how it goes. Um, and then you start, you know, you start fine tuning and then eventually you keep fine tuning and fine tuning and fine tuning. And, and Tabletop Simulator is really useful for this because you can immediately delete things, edit them, re- change, transform them completely. Uh, you can flip a table. Like there's a lot of neat <laughs> stuff that you can do in that that would be a little difficult to do in real life. Um, and those are advantages to a designer. So right now, uh, especially for designers who live in rural areas or designers that can't go to local design event, design events such as Break My Game, which is one that I go to pretty regularly in this area, uh, those are important things uh, to consider. So using online resources, that that's everything for getting your game out there, for building up attention and for getting eyes on it and making improvements on it. Um, um, with local playtesting groups, so you have things like Unpub, and again, what I was aforementioned, uh, Break My Game, which I use, they usually go to Labyrinth Games in DC, or um, they do uh, the Board and Brew in College Park. Uh, those groups are now, just like everything else, starting to look at online infrastructure and saying, okay, how can we take what we've been doing and move it onto this platform and do it on here and have these groups? Because being able to have someone play test your game in real life is really handy. It's very, it, it's, it's a little bit different than online. Uh, for one thing, you're going to get different kinds of feedback. So for example, I'm play testing a game called sheep right now, which is a hidden role game. Um, and this hidden role game does not have a, a someone in the center, basically organizing everything when things are being done. So there's no like third party outside of the game, moving things around and orchestrating everything. This is easy to do on an online platform. It's much harder to get right in real life. So like if there's cards that have to be moved when people's eyes are closed or something like that, then in real life, you're going to find out, okay, people's shoulders are bumping or players can't reach these cards or players can't accomplish this thing in this amount of time. Whereas online, you can make this magical curtain fall down to close (laughs) everybody's eyes and you can easily click and drag something. So there's a lot of nuances that you have to be aware of as a designer when you're sort of stepping into a uh, platform like Tabletop Simulator. It's very handy. It's very useful, but it does have limitations in terms of what you're going to gain from it. Right. You're also going to find that your playtesting length might be a little bit longer than it might normally be, and you have to account for that. 
playtesting length as in for a specific session or for the life of the design of the game? Um, so if I'm looking for a specific session, so okay. if I want my game to be 30 minutes, it might be maybe that playtest like that online or rather in person, but it might be 45 okay. minutes to an hour and a half online. It might be drastically longer uh, because you're not just playing the game, you're playing tabletop right, simulator, right, which has course. its own rules and limitations and mechanics. Also, depending on how familiar people are with the with the software. Yeah, I could imagine it would, like you were saying, with the limitations of, especially like a game like yours, Yes, the, the sheep game, it could take longer for development, I would imagine, because like you were saying, there's that difference of the physical tactileness of the cards and the token moving and stuff with eyes closed that you would have to test in addition to all the, the mechanics and stuff that you're testing online, right? Right. So one thing that, most play uh, designers will, will will come to find and have experienced and explored and recommended to others is playtesting solo. Um, I did this a lot with my first game composition. I've do, I do this with several games that I'm working on right now. Uh, playing a game by yourself or even working through it in your head or working through it in paper, like there's a lot of different ways to do that. But that's really going to be the start of your game is sitting down by solo, likely, likely. I mean, a lot of designers do collaborative projects or throw it in front of people right away. That's okay. I'm not did not like saying that's a bad thing, but it's it's especially in an environment like this. It's very likely a lot of designers are sitting down alone. They have the game set up in front of them and they're just working through it by themselves. And then once they're confident or they feel okay with what that is, then they move that in front of a group, um, probably on, you know, again, currently on tabletop simulator, or if they have folks at home, maybe in front of family and friends that they're staying with, and they go from there. So it, it's, again, it's it's one of those things where there's a lot in this environment that I, I, I don't lose because you have things like tabletop simulator. You still can play test on your own, frankly. You still can trial out ideas. You can still make and make stuff. None of that is necessarily lost. But you are going to lose that tactile in-person environment with random people. And so I guess it really depends on what stage you're on in playtesting. If you're a, if you're at a stage where you want to gain feedback live and in person, this might be a little rough. If you're at a stage where you're still tinkering and you're seeing what works and what doesn't work and you're still making big changes, then doing it online or and by yourself can be very useful. If you're at a stage where maybe this is late stage where you don't want to play the game with other people at all as a designer, you want to put it in front of random people you've never met that you've never spoken with and then get their feedback. This again might be a good environment for that right now because you're able, maybe you're able to mail the game to them or maybe you're able to just set it up on tabletop simulator and let random people play it and give you that feedback. So there's a lot of different routes you can take now that might be a little bit different in terms right. of how you get to that end result you want, but they're still available. So I have a question only because my usage of tabletop simulator has only been like I throw I host a private a, a private game, here's the password, other people log in. That's my limited experience with tabletop simulator. Is it possible What's it like if you just want to, you create a server and just kind of throw it out? Is there like a lobby that people can see all the games that are open and waiting on players? Um, generally speaking, there, there's there's a couple ways you can go about that. You can upload your uh, your game as like a like a workshop. Right. I, okay. So I, I'm aware of that. I'm I, I'm asking because of discovery, ba uh, like how people like obviously you know if you've if you've already got like a close group of playtesters that you already know, it's easy to get those people like okay, join my game. 
But if you're wanting to get like a, a wide, ver like if you're in the, the last kind of phase where you're getting that wide variety of play testers, how would you go about getting a wide variety? Like, is there a way that you can just throw the game on, like host a game and just wait for people to come in kind of thing? Is there that sort of discovery? Probably, prob not... The discovery feature on Tabletop Simulator for playtesting games probably isn't going to be done through Tabletop Simulator. Okay. You're going to find that on online communities, through, uh, online design communities through things like Discord or, again, Twitter, Facebook, that kind of a thing. It would be really tricky to advertise through Tabletop Simulator. I will say um, about a month and a half ago in one of the design groups I'm in, the creator of uh, TTS or Tabletop Simulator actually came on and said he wanted to do more for folks that are playtesting games on the platform because he was aware that that's something that takes place. He's aware that a lot of designers use that platform. So in the future, maybe there's going to be tools where designers and publishers can kind of on that platform say, hey, I'm working on this. But right now, the aforementioned workshop feature where you can upload the materials and flip folks can download it from Steam is probably something folks are going to be using. They're going to advertise it on their Twitter and media. They're going to link that to people. They might email it to people, say, hey, do this, this, and this. You'll get access to the game. You can always host a server with a password and a username and leave it up. And people can come in and technically you don't have to interact with them. You could just have yourself sure. on mute and watch them. But I feel like that might be a little less viable than letting folks download the game and setting it up on their own with their own game groups. Right. Right. So that, yeah, because that's what I was, I was curious about that. That's the one piece that might be a little bit difficult when you're relying on something like a uh, tabletop simulator is the throwing the, the, that getting people's attention. Um, because like, you're not going to have something like Umpub or like the break that game where you can say, you're going to just put up a flag and say, Hey, come try my game. You really have to do more work on your end. Sort of. It, it's one of those, like you, on the plus side, you now have the availability of, you know, anyone with a computer, but on the downside, it's a lot harder to flag those individual people and get them to pay attention to your singular thing. Yes. Um, I think that's also why you're going to find a lot. That's also why Game, groups like Break My Game or Unpub are extraordinarily valuable, and I imagine are going to be at the the front lines organizing online playtesters and designers. And I think you're going to see a lot more from those kinds of organizations setting things up on an online space. Right. While we're talking about this in table, I, I do think that one positive outcome that is going to happen on the board game industry is the viability that you're talking about of tabletop simulator has become fundamentally apparent to everybody sort of thing to whereas ways that you're using them that you and you may have been using it before other companies are now like oh we can do that and it's you know it doesn't cost us next like i'm a part of a board game media and publishers kind of facebook group and now all the time i'm seeing things in there that's like hey who wants to get on tabletop simulator and demo our game you know and you didn't see that before like you saw it when it came to convention time but you didn't see it just randomly through the year that's like hey we've got this game that's about to launch on kickstarter who wants to demo it uh this thursday at blah 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 time or that sort of right. thing um the, the the other thing i wanted to mention sort of it, it it's a little away from this but still useful um so print and plays. Have any of you ever done like a print and play for a publisher by chance? I've done one or two, I think. Okay, cool. So print and plays are an interesting topic uh, for a lot of designers and, pub and, and publishers. Print and plays, sometimes you'll find free print and plays for games on Kickstarter. You'll see publishers say, you know, we're offering a free print and play so you can trial the game. What we've found, uh, or what, well, not, I'm not a part of that, but what organizations have found is that a lot of people actually don't 
they, they don't download, they don't actually do the print and play. Um, so more often than not, it's a feature that's there to say, hey, this is available. It looks good to have that feature, but it's not a feature that's actually used. Uh, one thing, and again, this is me not knowing for sure. I'm, I'm curious if we're going to see that more in this environment. I think print and plays are a very useful tool. Uh, obviously, if you have a more complex or larger game, it may impede you from doing that. But if you're in a home environment and you're looking to do something casual, we have seen things. Again, I like Cards Against Humanity, I know they offered like a free uh, print and play for their game in general, and I know they're pushing that right now. I'm curious to see if other publishers are going to take another shot at using print and plays as a as a means of bringing Asmodee's their games been to doing home. Experimenting with that, you're right? Uh. Yeah, I've I've seen actually lots of print and plays being offered, lately. and I, I think that's really great. Um, I'm I'm very interested to see what the numbers are in terms of how many folks are actually using those. Yeah, there's the interesting again, question. Because yeah, uh, right. if you're somebody like us, we don't have a printer at home, so we can't print and play. But well, so definitely well. tr- and then you get the people like me where, as a general rule, no, I don't do print and plays because I am a very components. Components are so big, good for yeah, you. Yeah, components are a big deal for me. The few times yep. that I've done stuff, it, it I don't know. Uh, but, you know, card quality, that sort of thing is important to me. Right. But, you know, when you're not, when you're left with <laughs> next to nothing, you know, like for instance, they've delayed the Black Widow deck for Marvel Champions. And if it's, if, you know, FFG came around and said, hey, it's probably going to be July or August before we actually get to send these out because of shutdowns and stuff. But we're going to, if you pay five bucks, here's the files to print and play it. Now I'm kind of like, well... You know, it always just like print and because <laughs> it's something you that, already know. It, it's you love. it's it's one of those like that reality of there's not going to be a way of getting that thing in the real world for a while, sort mm-hmm. of thing right. where it's like I have to put that piece kind of aside if I want to play that content, sort of thing. Right. I right. I um I've been recommending print and plays to a couple publishers who are working on games that aren't yet published as a means of getting their game into uh, playtesters' hands so they can trial them out. Uh, one thing that I found also is that Tabletop Simulator, while it is being used a lot, it is another wall. If you are struggling with income right now, or if you're trying to decide, you know, do I want to buy food or a game, you're probably going to buy food or pay rent or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, there are uh, applications like Tabletopia, for example, that do have board games hosted on them. And I believe Tabletopia is free. Um, so that's something that is available to folks as well. But again, it's a different system than Tabletop Simulator, different options, different ways of doing things. And it's it's kind of interesting having different platforms to play board games on. And I, I it, it does fundamentally change your player experience for board games and your publisher experience as well if you're trying to get the game into the hands of people. Yeah, Tabletopia is one of those that it's funny. If you look in some of our groups and pages, anytime somebody mentions Tabletop Simulator, I throw in Tabletopia and somebody might think I was getting like checks or something from them. But the reason I do is because it doesn't always have that paywall like you're talking about with with Tabletop Simulator where there's different levels. So there's like free levels to where if, you know, for, for the most part, as long as some one person in the group pays for their like gold premium account everybody else you're wanting to play with it only needs to have a free account so that's one person paying i think it's 10 bucks a month which uh, granted over time that stacks up but if that one person can afford it and maybe you've got four three four five other people that can't then now you've got a way that you can still play it and i know that there's different tiers on the designer side i don't know what those are what those include but those might be ways of doing things to 
where you can say, I've got this tier and I put I can put my game up and now anybody, I just got to send them a link and they can click and play this game. They don't need to pay for anything. That's that's a big deal. And that's kind of why I do it because not everybody can afford at this point to get Tabletop Simulator. Right. Mm-hmm. So I always feel it's just important to have those the free or or next to free options out there because you never know. Like me earlier when I made an assumption about things and I turned out to be wrong, that sort of situation. <laughs> So before we get to Colin's game show, just want to take a moment to to remind everybody to go over to patreon.com slash boards and swords and you can check out the great stuff that we have there. All it takes is a dollar a month and you get to be a part of our community and get access to a bunch of great stuff like our Slack that where we've we've got a bunch of different conversations going and people suggesting news pieces for me to put into the the news and not to mention we've started record today actually as we're recording this the first episode of our uh the rest of our top 50 list so the last episode 147 of boards and swords we talked about our top 10 games of all time what about the other 40 games on our list well we've been recording those and we're releasing them only to our Patreon members as special bonuses and thank yous to them. So if you want to hear about those games, the first episode of that went up today. And uh, I don't know yet how we're going to be breaking, if it's going to be a weekly or what. But the rest of the ep- or rest other ones are coming. We've got a couple recorded already. But you're only going to get those if you go become a patron for at least $1 a month over at patreon.com slash boards and swords. And now I'm going to flip it over to Colin. All right. I am ready. Matt, are you ready? I was born ready, Colin. Okay. So uh, I did this one game show type thing a while back, but I I wanted to give it another try. I am going with a theme this time. We are doing wrong categories, which I have given everyone a list from categories. Everyone has a different list. Oh, fun. And given each of them, they all have the same letter. So they fill out the list. Oh, we all have the same letter. Yeah, they fill out the list. And now I'm going to ask questions that deal with something that's totally unrelated to categories. And they're going to pick an item from their list to fill in the blank and try to pitch it as the answer to that question. And I'll pick which one I like best and award a point to whoever I like. And oh no, we have no way of tracking our points. So Cindy all the time. No, I doubt that. I mean, she's the easiest one to give points to. She's right here. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine you like her the most. Well, Matt, you're getting close. Ah, you do have kind of a bromance. <laughs> I have the coins here. All right. Oh, yeah, so Chris, so you could just Chris is going to divvy out points for everyone. These, and Cindy and Matt can each get one point. <laughs> All right. Does everyone understand the rules of what's going on? Yes. No. All right, close enough. All right, I'm, I'm going to set the stage. The world has fallen into waste. Much like in the movie The Postman, if anyone remembers that movie. We're part of a newer civilization, and I, I want to tell our history of how we came to be. That said, I'm having trouble recalling important bits of our very rich history. Now, this land has been good to us. It used to be known to the ancients as Boards and Swordsington, but, <laughs> but we decided to change the name to better suit our people. What did we decide to call our land? That's what I want to know. I'll go to, uh, let's start with Matt first, the guest. Um, we decided to call our land Root Beer. Called it Root Beer. <laughs> Why was that? I, I can't remember well, that. I, well, you know, 
part of it was just we were trying to get back to our roots, you know, really just trying to, <laughs> to find where we were. And we also recognized that we needed something that the folks could look at and find enjoyment in, you know, keep people feeling easy in this very dark time. And we recognized that beer was one of those things that kind of, you know, keeps the masses in check. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> all those things together kind of just it brought a name together. It's a little cynical, but, you know, nobody has to know. And overall, I think, you know, like I said, it really it brings forth where we come from. All right. So root beer. Uh, Chris, what do you have for what do you what do you remember the name being? OK, so hear me out. All right. Anytime that you have one of these stories, the the civilization always has like a name like sanctuary or mm-hmm. like, you know, it, it, it's it's like a, a feeling that gives you like peace and something like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you got this, you've been through this wasteland, this apocalypse. And so we have a name that that kind of brings peace. So, but the problem is, is that our spelling has gotten a little rough over the past couple of, uh, you know, over the years. So we've named our town uh, Rolades because R-O-L-A-I-D-S spells relief. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I like that. Oh my gosh. Well, hey, Rolades do give you relief, so there you go. No, I, I, that's from the from the commercials they, they used to have. Oh, <laughs> apparently I've never seen those commercials <laughs> or, or heard them. I, I, I can't remember. All right, so Cindy, over over to you. What do you remember the name being of this of this great land? Rockets. The name of this great land is Rockets because we are rocketing through. The hard times to become a thriving civilization again. Okay. All right. So we have rockets, rollades, and root beer. I, I am going to have to go with the bad spelling of rollades. Yay! Ah, spelling relief. Fun fact. These are all one point, right? Yeah. Uh, the last one, I think, will be two points. I, I, I haven't decided yet. Okay. So. Depends on what the points are. <laughs> so, fun fact about the land of Rolades, it stretched from one pond to the next and had only the finest cereals on its grocery store shelves. What? Are you serious? This no. question is about cereal? Are you serious? I'm talking about my uh, totally not made up land of Rolades here. So, let's, <laughs> let's listen to these oh, fun facts man. that I did not make up. All right, so every great land has a great ruler, and I'd, I'd say that we've had the best. Can anyone remind me of what our ruler's name was, though? Let's go to Cindy first this time. Does cereal mean anything in this question? It means nothing. That, Why did you say it? It's fun facts. I hate you. I'm all about the fun facts. So we're naming the ruler. Yes. The ruler's name is Ruler. <laughs> I knew I should have picked a different one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how much op- more obvious can you get? I'm just going down my list. Is that what we're doing? Uh, no, you pick whatever you want from your list. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> Challenge mode. I'm going down the list. If you can sell it, do it. Yeah, the ruler's name is Ruler, because I literally have Ruler written on my list. <laughs> well, it, it's fitting. It is It's fitting, fitting to the role. He was born into it, I guess. Yeah. All right. Uh, can, can I go next? Yeah, we can. We, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, the ruler's name... And I, I apologize, Cindy. The ruler's name is actually Robot Factory After Party. First name, <laughs> Robot. Middle name, Factory. Third name, After Party. That's his full name. Yeah, He actually gave himself that name. All right, then. He did not like his original <laughs> name, so he changed his name at 18 as soon as he became a legal adult. Did he? His parents were not happy, but neither was he because he lost a bet. So that's just how it goes. So Robot Factory After Party. 
Uh, it's over to Chris. All right, my turn. All right, you're all wrong because what the what are the key qualities you need to have in a leader? You need someone with charisma, someone with gumption. You need someone that can like inform the people. And that's why our ruler was a guy who, you know, would regularly inform the people. He would have daily sessions where he would sit down and talk with the people and tell them about it. And most importantly, he would make sure that those people stayed classy. That's right. Our ruler was Ron Burgundy. <laughs> oh, I was the only one that thought it was funny. Okay. Ron I don't Burgundy? No Anchorman. <laughs> I am Ron Burgundy. <laughs> okay. So we have ruler, robot factory after party, and Ron Burgundy. I, I think I'm going to have to go with the sort of stereotyping breeding into uh minds the name so i'm gonna pick ruler oh Ah, wow darn lame yep yep ruler is the name of our ruler and ruler ruled in such a great ways creating jobs fighting off invaders and still finding time to have afternoon tea What does that say about our language that, that we only know that our ruler was named ruler and uh, Rolaid spells relief? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just going to skirt past that into the next question. So there was a great war that lasted for 78 years. Whoa. Fists were thrown, rocks were hurled, and mics were dropped. Uh, what was our land name? Oh, yeah, Rolaids. Yeah. <laughs> so Rolaids, Rolaids finally conquered... All foes, once they harnessed the power of the almighty, oh, what was it? What did they <laughs> harness the power of to defeat their foes? Let, let's go to Chris first this time. Um, clearly, it was River Tam. Oh. Because uh, <laughs> she's a badass and uh, got rid of all of our foes. Mm. Well, yeah. Can't, oh, I, I have a hard time arguing with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This, you didn't even have to sell that. I just like, as soon as it said the name, it's like, oh, right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to Matt. Let's go to Matt. Ert! Ert! <laughs> I think that's his answer. The sound <laughs> broke into the atmosphere, <laughs> crushing the ears of all enemies. Ert! Ert! A piercing wail, oh a siren shriek. No one could survive that noise. Ert! <laughs> so you. <laughs> No, 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 no. So no, we're doing it's like an hurt. onomatopoeia. That's how it's pronounced. May I ask what that was an answer to uh, on your list? That was an answer to cars. <laughs> <laughs> it was an answer to cars. That's a good one. Okay. All right. And Cindy, what do you have? So what was the question again? What did, what did we harness the power of to oh, defeat oh, our enemies? Rice-a-roni. Rice aroni. Yes, we cooked, harvested cooked or uncooked. Both, because uncooked, they're little like they're little daggers that they just shot with slingshots into the mm. hearts of the enemies. But cooked, it is a San Francisco treat. Is, yes, but when it was cooked, they cooked so so much of it that the weight of all the rice just squashed the the enemy rivals so they cooked it over top of the enemy rivals no they cooked it normally and then they put it into oh, they catapulted it yes catapults they put it into catapults and shot it and it was just so moist and heavy that it just suffocated them moist i thought you were gonna say like they had some cooked and some uncooked and the enemies were just like oh, oh i got another uncooked one well, I mean, that, that would have been better. Thank you for ruining my explanation. <laughs> yeah, let's go with that one. 
Uh, okay. So we got rice aroni Ert. and river tam. Uh, I, I have to, I have to go with river tam on this yeah. one. Oh my Woo-hoo. goodness. There's, there's no getting around well, it. Well, that's because you have to He's know amazing. that Colin's a huge Firefly yeah, that, that fan. Slight ah. pandering there. Mm. Mm. All right, so this great war started all because of greed. Our mascot was stolen from within the sacred chambers. Oh, no. Now, I, I'm, I'm having trouble remembering what our great mascot was, though. <laughs> uh, Cindy, let's go to you first, since you have an idea, it seems. The Rugrats. <laughs> So not one, but multiple mascots. All of the Rugrats. <laughs> you know, Tommy, Angelica, Ch- uh, Chucky, all the twins. I can't remember. Uh, Lil and Lil. Phil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Them. Yeah. The Rugrats. Nice. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, uh, all right. Yeah, yeah. Let's go to Chris. Chris, what do you got? So our, uh, our mascot, is that what we're talking about? Yep. Our mascot was uh, a, a, a bunch of rocks that had been in a <laughs> rock tumbler because just like symbolizing how we've been tumbled over time and come out smoother on the other side, uh, we the, these rocks have gone and had the rough, hard edges worn off and are better having gone through said rock tumbler. Mm, symbolism. Lame. <laughs> I dig. All right, Matt, what do you have? What what was the mascot? Well, actually, you know, actually it works out pretty well. The mascot was the same creature that made the sound. Uh, Rusty Chicken was the, the mascot. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did you get that? Uh, well, on categories, the uh, number four listing was spices and herbs. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're ridiculous. Uh, rusty Chicken. You know, I can picture that probably the best. So I'm going to pick Rusty Chicken as our mascot. All right. <laughs> oh, yes. Depositing that in the point bank tonight while maintaining social distance. Oh, my gosh. All right. So after this war, our great ruler, ruler, <laughs> built a wall to protect the mascot from ever being stolen again. Made of a, It's made of a never-before-used building material. Known as what? What was this amazing building material? Uh, let's go to Matt first. Uh, the amazing building material was actually rubber band chewing. So similar <laughs> to gum, people would chew rubber bands, creating this absurd elastic material that would actually be able to stretch for miles and miles just because they chewed it for so long. It enhanced the electi- uh, 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 elasticity. Um, basically, it lets you build buildings, bridges, anything you can think of. Incredible stuff. No. <laughs> I'm a terrible host for this game. Like, I don't know why I pick it because I just laugh at everything. That's true. All right. Rubber band chewing. Cindy, what do you have? What, what was the building material? Rhinoceros beetles. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's not really a wall so much as a defense moat type mechanism. Ah. Because... You don't want to cross a rhinoceros beetle because those things will hurt you. I wasn't sure if it was like a living structure, oh, what? but I guess it kind of is. Yeah, it is a living structure. I w- they're, I, they're alive. You know, people like, you know, build walls out of plants that grow. So they call that like a living structure. And I thought oh. you were like, you made a wall of beetles. And so you just, uh, yeah, the ground like is moving. <laughs> no, that's good. That's really good. I, I like the that. moat. I like the moat. Well, it's just... You know, it's it's just the, they have like this circle of tons and tons and tons of rhinoceros beetles protecting our mascot. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to cross a rhinoceros beetle because those things are brutal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I haven't had a, a close encounter with one, but I've seen them. 
They're creepy. And Chris, what what do you have? What's this amazing build, building so, material? So Cindy was right. It wasn't it wasn't a wall per se. And the fact is that the defense of of our mascot was uh, left to one person, uh, a very somewhat would say ordinary looking person. Uh, and in an, a nice suit with his hands crossed, but he would always have uh, would would drive people crazy whenever uh, people would attempt to try and steal it, and that's because that man was Rod Serling, uh, creator <laughs> of the Twilight Zone. Because anytime anyone would get close, he would be like, "Consider yourself in a world where the laws of space and time are no longer yours to command." And they, he would just start rambling, and then th- weird things would start happening, and people would I go crazy it. and run away screaming. I get it. Twilight Zone. No, that, that that's it. That's that that was it. It was Rod Serling. Not my rhinoceros. Uh, no, I, I I remember now. It was it's clear as day. Rod Serling. Yeah. That's so he defended it with with grace <laughs> and honor. And he's now considered an official building material. <laughs> All right. So the, the, uh, the new building material wasn't the only discovery of this great land. Scientists were inspired to research into all fields of study. This led them to the new source of energy, which was infinite and pure. What was this energy source? Let's go over to Cindy. What, what is the source of energy in this new civilization? Rays. Like stingrays. Oh. Because they're, it's like a aqua powering of sorts where they just swim around and it powers everything. Like the their movement. Okay, so they're creating currents. Yes, they're creating currents and then we're harnessing the current from the, the flapping of the wings on the stingrays. And the, yeah, so it's just powering. Oh, okay. And it's right. so majestic and wonderful to watch. Ah, majestic energy source. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, Chris, what do you have? Uh, the energy source was Red Robin because <laughs> we found out that you could generate power based off of fries and Red Robin has bottomless fries. So you have bottomless energy. So, boom. Yeah. Oh, man. That, that is kind of hard, hard to argue that logic. Matt, what do you have? Stingrays. Reproduce, Colin. So you have endless amounts of them as well. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I have down here, let me open up my my notes real quick. I actually don't have any notes to open up. I'm sorry. I lied there. Um, it, it's really smelly cologne. <laughs> oh my gosh. Is the energy source that I have here. Really smelly cologne <laughs> is the pure energy source that um, they use. Uh Care to elaborate? Like, uh, I don't think I don't want to elaborate anymore. This stuff stinks, man. Let's just <laughs> let's just move on. It's bad. Like it's it's it. There's a waft. Let me just say uh, that you don't I, you don't want for this. You know, I would people out there that would know me know that I always have to get a second thing of fries and sometimes even a third at Red Robin. So Red Robin wins Yay! the point. You I'm sorry. I, Chris just remembers our history better. I honestly didn't know that. About, I've forgotten about <laughs> He's that. He's talking about the history of our t- city. Yes, the oh, history yeah. of our civilization. <laughs> he knows our history. I don't remember. All right, that's what I was talking. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, last question. Uh, what What's our point total? I think Chris is like uh, leading. I'm at four and then the other ones are at one. I have 65 here. I don't know if anyone wants to double check the okay. math. Okay, all right. So this is going to be worth uh, four points. Yeah, okay, four. look at that. I wrote that down. Before the thing started, wink. Oh, is this the last one? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, okay. I want to change my answer off the course then. All right, I'm ready. Okay, so this one you're actually going to be picking two answers. Ooh. All right, so because of this new power source being as infinite as it was, the bottomless fries, a new law was put into place 
so that no one person should be found to be holding something while in a something. Okay, you cannot be holding something while in something else. And let's go over to Chris. All right, cannot be holding something while you're in something else. Mm -hmm. uh, so the problem, because of the energy source, uh, you can't be holding a rocket launcher while you're inside a raspberry <laughs> because if it goes off, then the raspberry will explode and get raspberry all over the bottom fries and everyone knows that's gross. Oh yeah, you don't want that. Okay, so rocket launcher while you're in a raspberry. I I, I can understand that logic. I, I have to consider the other options because you know I I'm still fuzzy. Like, hey Matt, how about a twenty? You can you can unfuzzify my memory. I got you. I got you. Okay, so here's the deal. You know, obviously this is a whole new world. A lot of crazy stuff going on. One of the unfortunate side effects of this new world is that there has been a number of clones of Richard Nixon that have come from the earth. <laughs> it's really messed up. It's a tough life. Uh, one of the things that we recommend you never hold ever is Richard Nixon while you're inside of rural Kansas. <laughs> I rural Kansas. I it's it's bad. Let me tell you. Have you ever held Rich, Richard Nixon? That's bad enough in rural Kansas. End times. Rural no amount huh. of energy would be able to protect us. Matt sucks because he he didn't steal my answers, but it's basically the exact same thing. Oh, what 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 is yours? You can't hold Ronald Reagan while you're in Rochester. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm not even kidding. It was no, a you president and a place in the United <laughs> States. <laughs> Oh, I, my my justification though was that it was going to be like Ronald Reagan was like this hero for his movies, not mm. because he was president, but because he was an actor. We like everybody in the civilization just loved his movies, um. and so they've created millions of bobbleheads <laughs> of Ronald Reagan. And unfortunately, in Rochester, because you know we had to n rename one of our cities after the infamous city of rochester because infamous why not? yeah why not but in rochester bobbleheads are strictly illegal because of the beheading of ronald reagan mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that was stupid so oddly enough i up and up until that last little bobblehead thing i was leaning toward i was leaning toward the uh rocket launcher and the raspberry because it made sense with the fry thing but uh, so I have here written the penalty if you are found to be doing this, breaking this law, and as anyone found doing it would be sentenced to one year of constant dancing to Justin Timberlake's Can't Stop the Feeling. And given that the punishment should fit the crime, I think it's holding a Ronald Reagan in Rochester. Darn. Boo. The Rochester district of Rolades. So I'm going to give these four points... To Cindy. Rigs. Rigs. <laughs> hey. Shut up. Here, we can say it was three points, so we have two winners. That's not fair. I wrote that down. I wrote that down. It's it's as it, I said, no wait, Whatever. not four, three. Yeah. Good game. So that's it. We 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 have everyone's a winner except the guest. <laughs> <laughs> I was appreciative of your answers though. It was the the urge specifically. That was I'll funny. take it. All right. <laughs> uh, I, Colin, I do believe it's time to roll that beautiful bean footage. That wraps up this week's episode. Remember, if you want to watch live, we record every other Wednesday. Boardsandswords.com slash live has the schedule and the links where you can find all our live streaming channels. 
If you like it, you also need to check out Boards and Swords to see our, com to see our other show, The Dirtbags of Holding. It's gonna come back at some point. We're all just given the uh, environment, a lot of our creativity is kind of stunted and trying to come up with some uh, game ideas. So at some point, Dirtbags of Holding will be back and that's where we play RPGs in the worst way possible. But if you like this show, you can email us your comments and questions at feedback at boardsandswords.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at Boards and Swords Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook at, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Boards and Swords Pod. And you can follow our individual accounts. I'm Cindy Pastorius on Twitter and Instagram. I am ColeCakes196 on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ChrisTheProf. And Matt, you can say some. Oh, cool. Uh, you can find me on twitter.com slash Matt or on Facebook at uh, Official. Uh, please check out Composition. It's in stores, sort of, and available online. That was COO Games Matt. Yes, COO Games Matt, M-A-T-T. And we are also a part of the Dice Tower Network. You can go to dicetowernetwork.com and check out a whole array of board gaming-related podcasts. And the network is helped out a lot by Cool Stuff Inc. CoolStuffInc.com. You can go there and check out all kinds of gaming deals they have on uh, board games and game-related materials. And they have sales all the time. All the time sales at CoolStuffInc.com. That's right. And once again, remember to check out Patreon.com slash Swords to help support the show. But... Just listening to this episode alone is enough to say thank you so much for your support. But we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. In the meantime, remember that every gamer has a story. And for this episode, it was how many different commercial things did I throw into this episode? Because there were a lot. There were a lot.